Welcome back to the Aviation RC New Podcast. You found us. My name is Joe. And I'm Matt. We're here to be with you along your journey and to share our experiences in RC Aviation. If you have any questions, thoughts, or want to share a flight story, hit us up at aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. Now, buckle in. Let's take off. All right, welcome back. Uh, episode 20B, Coverings, with our special guest, Chris McCallum. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to get to the recording that we had with Chris about our coverings um, in just a little bit, but we wanted to sit down, Joe and I, and just talk about the, um, the fly stories that we've had and make some uh, quick announcements. Uh, and then we'll get to uh, Chris and Joe and I talking about the coverings, uh, ways to cover your planes and make them look snazzy. All right. Um, without further ado, let's talk about our upcoming build parties. Uh, last month, we really right. didn't have a build party. Um, so this month, we're going to try to squeeze in two. Uh, one is a little bit short notice, but if you're on our Discord server or in our Facebook uh, chat, uh, linked into that, you will, uh, we'll post announcements there and you'll see them and hopefully you can join us in. Or maybe you're an avid quick listener and you're hearing this going great and you're, you'll be ready on April 9th. So April 9th, between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., that'll be a Friday night. Uh, we're going to do our first- Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time, because Joe and I live in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. And <clears throat> we're going to try something new and try to incorporate an easier time for our European audience, uh, European listeners. And that'll be on April 24th. We're going to uh, build between 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to it. It's been a while since we've sat down. I know Joe and I both have a couple, I'll call them joint projects, uh, ones that we're both going to tackle kind of our version of it, but we're both have some building to take care of and build, building to get to. Um, so those are prime opportunities for us to do that. And so if you want to see the hidden projects that we're going to do, they're not really that hidden, but if you want to see them, come join us in the build parties and you'll see what we're working on. Okay. okay. Uh, well, <laughs> so why don't you, uh, why don't you get, uh, get us started with our build story, uh, our fly stories uh, for this, uh, for this episode, Joe, what, what have you been working on? What have you been flying? What have you been working on? Uh, so, honestly, not much since last time. Um, part of the reason yeah. this episode got pushed back a week is that I was hoping by now work would have calmed down and I would have had more time. And yeah. I haven't. Um, <laughs> and, you know, outside the hobby a little bit, just talking about how life can sometimes uh, mess you up. Oh, um, my God, yeah. Or you sometimes mess yourself up. Uh, I was relaying <laughs> some floor. I was getting ready to relay some flooring um, yeah. in the house and was uh, planning to uh, tie into some existing flooring uh, that already that was already there. As so I, I was tearing those boards out, this you know engineered laminate flooring, but right. I, I tore the tore those old boards out. It's a bit of a destructive process uh, pulling some mm -hmm. of the old boards out. I was like, I'm not worried about it. You know, I got the new boards. I'll tie them right in and get going. And uh, mm -hmm. after I'd already done the damage uh come to find out the new laminate flooring uh was 
not quite the same color, was a slightly different print, uh, and was not the same size, and didn't have the same type of lock-in mechanism. So there was no way I was tying. And you said it was like the not, not the same thickness, right? Uh, yeah, it's not the same thickness. Like, it, it's just a whole different <laughs> brand, whole different... Oh it's not the same uh, glory at all. The whole time you were talking to me about it earlier, I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, you just tie in a little different because so it's not so big. Maybe you trim down the one thing. You just kind of make it where... And you're like, and it's the wrong thickness. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much a killer. At that point, yeah. <laughs> at that point you yeah, just... There, I mean, there, you're done. <laughs> there was nothing to be done. So that, that resulted in, instead of just a room uh, being redone uh it was now having to redo the whole hallway so that i could then go into the room i've been aiming for so oh my yeah God. that's that's what happened yeah. there so that's been taking up some time um mm -hmm. and then just work has continued to be uh carrying over into the evenings but this last saturday uh sorry this last sunday uh i did manage to get out and i got about six minutes tops of fly time <laughs> Well, that's, a, um, which is, that's six minutes though six good minutes yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's nothing really to brag about but yeah that was six minutes that i had um nice. and literally it was between uh church in the morning because again i do the volunteer stuff at the church with the soundboard so i'm there all morning up until like all the way through one o'clock in the afternoon with the church. Mm -hmm. And then I've got like That's a lot three hours and then I'm there for students in the afternoon. So I managed mm -hmm. to get, a, you know, head to the church early. It was going to fly the old fogey uh, in the back lot where I have flown before. Um, mm -hmm. And so I took the old fogey out there and I took the simple soar wing that I had cut the top of the fogey off so I could fly with it. Finally got a chance to say, yes, I'm going to do this. And then I took nice. the old fogey wing, uh, and I had taken the the cutoffs from the top of the fuselage, glued them to the underside of the wing. Well, actually glued them to nice. some foam board and cut it off square and all, and then glued that whole contraption underneath the wing so I can now lay that on top of the fuselage, and it sits right. Uh, the fogey wing nice. so you, sits right on top of the fuselage. Right, so you have like a swappable wing now for your old fogey fuse. A bit. Yeah, nice. basically, like, I, I flat cut off, I say flat, sl sloped off the top of the, the fogey, so that angle mm -hmm. that comes up to match the underside of the, the fogey wing, I kind of cut that off uh, at yeah. the angle of attack, if you will, basically the front, if you, mm -hmm. the front versus the back, and just cut it off at that mm -hmm. slope, uh, and then took those two bits that I cut off, which were just really long triangles, glued them parallel on a sheet of foam board, and then cut the foam board around that so, and, and space them such that they were several inches wider than the fuselage so that when I go to put that wing on the, on the fogey like that uh, flat bit of foam board is sitting on top of the fuselage and the wing is still supported properly and I can rubber band over and just go um, mm -hmm. so it it works technically um i didn't have great flight with it and i'll kind of go into that i put the simple soar wing on it and uh i was flying i actually was flying that new motor you got me a little jet okay um yeah and i put a uh my new four cell in it uh 2300 milliamp and so put the battery in got it all set up uh, well i started out and had the I was putting the four cell in and nothing was powering up. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, oh okay. wait, there's the, there's the, um, 
uh, that's my dead battery. So I went and grabbed my <laughs> uh, my new four cell that I knew was charged up. And by dead, right. I mean that was the one that was in the Spitfire when it stayed in the tree for that weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the one you need to get rid so, of. Yeah. Uh, well, I still want to take it out of the shop and see if I can get some life out of it. But at this point, it's probably too far gone. Um, but so I grab my other four cell, hook it up, everything powers up. So I put that in the power pod, get it all hooked up and, uh, put the simple solar wing on it, CG it out. Um, and it's good to go. Uh, it actually where the, where I set the battery was where it needed to be. So, um, got it all strapped on, uh, walked out mm-hmm. to the field, uh, did my pre-flight, all right, ready to go, throttled up and chucked it. Now, it was a little windy okay. that day, which just par the course for us at this point. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, lately. the area that I'm... F- yeah, and the area that I'm flying is sort of a, a small play field out behind the church that has a tree line. So the mm-hmm. wind does weird things there anyway when the wind is moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was acting all kinds of bad. It, you know, it was really... Uh, it was... I won't say it was necessarily acting tail heavy. It was just wanting to nose up constantly, which the fogey has a tendency if you're throttled up too high to want to just go nose up real bad. Right. And so it was throttling back, trying to get the nose to come down, but then it wasn't. So I was like, eh, maybe it is flying tail heavy or this wing's just not going to work. Okay. Um, and so flying it and trying to fight it. And I said, all right, this isn't working. Let me put it down. Uh, and I'll swap the 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 simple fo- simple soar wing off and put the fogey wing back on it because I know the fogey wing works, uh, and I'm just going to fly and have a good time. And so I landed it uh, again, rough landing, but uh, nothing broke. So took the simple soar wing off, put the fogey wing back on, and checked the CG. It was uh, it was right. Uh, mm-hmm. Throttled up, put it in the air, and it just again did not fly well it it was Hmm. it ended up shifting back and forth it seemed like between tail heavy and nose heavy um i was fighting to keep the nose down yeah what it ended up being was that uh i was fighting the the plane being tail heavy and that seemed to be nose heavy and then tail heavy and nose heavy it was just real bad tendencies um and then i crashed it on landing trying to set it down giving up for the day and when i was opening it up and having a look inside what I realized was that the uh, four-cell battery had the prickly side of the Velcro, and normally the inside of my power pod would have the fuzzy side of the Velcro. Well, this power pod had the prickly side of the Velcro as well. And oh. so I was prickly on prickly, and it didn't even occur to me, because <laughs> when I was hooking up my batteries, when I grabbed the first four-cell, uh, I I looked at it, it had the I have a double sided fuzzy strip of Velcro essentially mm-hmm. I have two fuzzy sides uh, cut to the same length slapped back to back so that I can use my that four cell in uh, that power pod or some of your power pods if I was borrowing yeah. yours or you know loading you the battery it, so I had it but when I swapped the batteries I didn't grab that and put it on the on the newer four cell so I, when I put it in it had oh, nothing exactly. to hold it to the power pod so as soon as i (laughs) hand chucked it it had some momentum that battery (laughs) shifted and of course it was going to be tail heavy at that point (laughs) Um, 
and then so I'm fighting it, and I can only assume that when it went tail, uh, when it went nose heavy, was when I managed to get it into something of a nose down state. Maybe the battery shifted forward, or <laughs> shifted more towards center, <laughs> proper yeah. center of gravity. And so, you know, it was oh, just man. that that battery was just moonwalking all over the uh, the inside of my power pod. Um, and so I was having constantly changing flight tendencies. So. Um, in as much as I do my pre-flights, I'm going to have to now check with, it's just something I take for granted. I pop my battery and I'm good to go. Check my CG is good. Launch it. It just, because I have a system of my batteries Mm -hmm. have this, my power pods have, you know, this other side of the Velcro. When I stick them in, I know they're going to stick. And if you're going to have. Yeah, you know, it's always worth, you know, tugging on that battery, just touch, even if you know, like, mm-hmm. you've got fuzzy and prickly in there just to make sure it's a good, secure grab, because uh, right. my battery was sliding, and that was my mm-hmm. ultimate problem. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had similar problems, too. Not that the it was, like, the fuzzy on fuzzy or anything like that, but sometimes to get the CG, I'm, I'm using, like, a half inch of the, of the overlap between the one, uh, the, the hook and the loop. So it's only connected mm-hmm. by a thin, thin strip of Velcro. And so, you know, any kind of like acrobatics or anything, it might get loose. And then I start having the same tendencies where I'm like, this thing's tail heavy. And all of a sudden I, I take a dive and I go, this thing's nose heavy. I come back up and it goes, this thing's tail heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, this thing yep. flies like stink. And then I come down and I go, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That battery came out pretty much. Easy. yeah so um it it really what alerted me to it was when i was looking at because when it when it crashed my uh my radio master then proceeded to tell me that it had lost telemetry Mm -hmm. i said well it's on the other side of that grass bank over there like maybe the ground's blocking it but then when i picked it up and started looking around inside i saw that the uh throttle connector pulled loose from uh, the from the receiver I was like, uh, my battery must have shifted. And so when mm-hmm. I pulled the power pod out, I was like, yep, my battery shifted. I grabbed the battery and went to pull it. It just came right out. I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I see I've now why I was struggling. Oh, yeah. That's all right. Well, look, so what kind of damage happened to the old fogey? You said it crashed. Uh, but is it like fixable uh, kind or is it like I'll have to rebuild I mean, it's replace a prop and I'm back in the air. I oh, just okay. didn't have that's... any more time that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some days it's like that. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good news. You you still have the plane. You still have the swappable wing. All you got to do is replace the prop. And you, <laughs> all I can suggest is that you take the Velcro off the inside of that pot and replace it with stuff that works. I mean, you know, that's one less thing to think about, you know. And, and then keep, keep um, the loop and loop uh, for when I come up, I guess. It's no. just, it's not been a problem. It just, it was, and it was a thing, <laughs> and it happens. <laughs> um, well, so word to the wise, right? Word, word to the noob who may have a similar problem. Uh, find a system, stick to it. Uh, it'll keep things simpler, and that'll be one potential fail point that, that you hopefully won't have, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully everybody else is, like, smarter than me and will check to be sure their <laughs> battery actually is it's smarter than me. Yeah, smarter than me too. Um, too. So, uh, before we before I let you go, real quick, uh, because we didn't mention this last time, and I and I wanted to, 
uh, in that we didn't, like there was a long period where we weren't flying. There was a lot of bad weather. We did mm-hmm. actually get, uh, was it Phoenix RC up and running on oh, my computer? Yeah. yeah. And we, I was thinking about that today. We got, we managed to get it. So my, my radio master hooks up, uh, through the USB just fine. There was an emulator I had to get to, mm-hmm. to get to connect and communicate. And once figuring out how to get all that set up, then you and I were able to link up in a, uh, in an online, um, mm-hmm room as it were we were able to fly together yeah and um we were just in there cutting up and playing with the spitfires or trainer planes or yeah uh over oversizing the planes and over overpowering the motors <laughs> just to <laughs> yeah we did a little bit just of that. to have some fun i, I yeah mm-hmm. and i think what i liked most is because i know when we get together uh one of the things we keep trying to do and so far we haven't had much luck but We've been wanting to kind of get out and do almost formation flying, at least to the best of our ability. Yeah. Uh, and that is a really great way to practice, um, practice not just the flying and uh, that stuff, but but really the communication that needs to happen to really make um, that kind of flying possible. Because it, it really is a constant communication. It's like, okay, I'm going to bank to the right, aiming to be about, you know, 10 degrees or whatever and it's like okay got it you know just knowing what's gonna happen is really critical to make sure that it actually looks like you're trying to do something right yeah and i mean sadly because it was our first time trying it you know in the simulator we spent most of our time trying to find (laughs) each other in the air because the camera the camera in those things is like it's looking at your plane it's kind of difficult to look away yeah, try to search the sky for anything else because you know your camera's locked on you. So there's a lot of communication of where are you at right now, <laughs> right? And well, and um, I hate to say it, but like that's that's pretty indicative of what you're doing at the field. Like when I'm flying, I can't really look away from my plane for long, uh, lest I lose it in the sky, right? So uh, yeah. it really is a great way to practice. Um, and I'm I was thinking about that today. Actually, I was like, you know. Maybe when we get uh, either before or after we we get done recording, we should really get back on that and just give it another try again and start practicing on a regular. Because I, I think it would really help us, especially when we get together, uh, to be able to you know fly you know Mustang to Spitfire or whatever it is and have some fun with it. You know. Yeah, definitely. and I'll have to download the FT uh, flight models that they have so that I can mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, you know, have it with a, with semi correct, I think, uh, tendencies and flight yeah. style and all that. Because you know what we were flying were the gassers were just straight up electric, yeah. but they were more like the mm-hmm. the balsa style. So yeah. be able to get closer to what we're actually flying. So I think any of them, if as long as we're flying, if we're flying the same kind of model, and we're practicing formation flying, like I don't think it matters exactly which model, as long as they're flying similar or the same models. It'll be good practice, but but yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, it'd be nicer to fly uh, things that are closer to what we will fly when we get out there together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, that's good what I've got, and I know you've been doing some flying, so why don't you tell I us am. about it? Uh, well, I at the very beginning of Buildjoy, uh, I had the ERC time save up, and I was testing it, and I tested it by cutting out a dusty uh, an FD duster which is basically the dusty crop hopper or i think right. that is uh trying to think of the name of the now i can't think uh the piper uh piper cherokee i think is the the name of the plane 
Um, anyway, so I finished building it uh, and put, put the electronics in it. And I took a little bit of time to kind of get it to look like a uh, dusty crop hopper. So, you know, orange and blue and then, you know, the number on the side and all that kind of stuff with the little eyes. And I put a camera in the cockpit section kind of right above his eyes. So I'm looking out over the nose um, and I put some landing gear on it and I took it outside, had a great old time with it. Uh, the maiden flight I have up on my my channel uh, turned out to be a really pretty good one. Uh, I think I had one faux pas uh, at where I ended up basically flying. I think I ended up flying it over over the flight line for a minute, and it was a it was a call as to whether or not to take a tight turn and hope I can control it uh, and not hit somebody in the process, or just keep going straight because it was high enough and then recover it with you know more control and so i chose to do more control and one of the guys at the field was like hey you know you're not supposed to do that and i you know i i was aware but if you're if you're unaware you while you're flying uh, at an ama field and generally it's good practice uh you should only really be flying in front of you because once you kind of get over top of yourself and behind you now you're twisting around you might lose orientation and it'll be far harder to control safely so uh, keep it in mm -hmm. front and it makes things simple uh, and safe for everybody. So, uh, so shame on me, but at the same point, I was able to recover it and had a good old time. Uh, I, I then took it out again and I got some FPV footage this time. Uh, the first time I had some issue with my FPV gear, uh, and I was able to just fly it around for like you know 10 minutes on the battery and had a great old time. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, it, and I'll, I'll post that video shortly. Um, but Joe and I took a sat down, took a quick look at it. Not everything was going really pretty good. And then I think it it did a weird kind of roll sideways tendency. And so I said to myself, well, and I started getting really comfortable at that point. I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I should mm -hmm. try a knife edge because this plane is really responsive to that kind of thing. It has good rudder control um, and good aileron control. So it's almost like a 3D plane. And so I start doing a knife edge and I'm apparently not ready for it. So it, it took a hard <laughs> landing and it'll need some repair. The wing came off, the landing gear ripped out. Um, and there's a, I think those pretty much the big pieces of damage. So it's repairable, um, but it'll take a, a little bit of a, a minute to do that. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And, and honestly, if you can build one, uh, it's really quick and easy and it's worthwhile. Uh, I flew it on, I think, a nine by seven prop with a, with a CPAC motor. Oh, that's what I bet messed up. I messed up the firewall. So uh, I'll have to oh, redo man. the power pod. That's not a big deal. Um, but that's why I didn't go back out like the next day and fly some more. Um, uh, I got out with the F-22 and flew some more with that. Uh, and I think uh, the, the flights are short, uh, but they've been a lot of fun. Uh, it's really, really cool to see the thing whoosh past you uh, and just sort of like take some low speed passes. I call them speed passes, but they're, you know, it only goes so fast, but uh, it looks fast when it's really close to the ground. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I was able to like zoom slow past down, slow down. Took, Yeah. Hey, oh, and then you're like, oh my God, that is the ground right there. Um, but I was out there with a bunch of the guys in the field, you know, it was one of those beautiful Sundays or beautiful Saturdays. And it was just, just a really good relaxed time, especially after all that rain, Everybody was just really excited to kind of be out there if for no other reason. Um, and, you know, I had a couple of people, oh, what is it? Is that foam board? Like, did you make that yourself? Like, and that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, right after I finished, somebody brought out their their E-Flight model or Motion RC, or I can't remember who made it. And they pulled out theirs, and they were doing their own kind of high alpha trick flying and stuff like that. And it was fun. It's fun to watch. So, uh, so I did. I, I had some fun with that. Uh, and I pulled out an old, and so one of the things I've been doing, and after I finished up the Bilgeri stuff, um, I decided it's time to pull out all the old planes that I got to about 80% done and start getting them finished. You know, it's time to really, really either shut up or put up, right? So pull them out, see if they fly. If they don't fly, get rid of them. You know, take out the electronics right. and move on to something else, free up some space. So I pulled out... Um, uh, two two ones that I'm working on. One is the Wind Freak, which is an old balsa model, and it's it's a planker basically. So it's a big, wide wing, and it's kind of got a, a natural curve to it, a gentle, almost polyhedral, um, okay. with a kind of a simple downward return on the ends of the wing, um, and then it has this long, thin fuse with a big, kind of sharp fin, right for a tail. That's right at the backside of the wing. So it's like right there. Um, and I cut out little stars and I taped it over so that I could see through, you know, the sun can see through and kind of get that kind of okay. um, balsa balsa look to it, I guess. Um, and then I have the long, thin fuselage and it's it turned out it's just rolled, basically rolled the Dollar Tree foam board and I kind of uh, 90 degree turned the bottom in and matched it. So if the top was nice and curved and, and it's just really elegant looking, turned out really great. Some of them I'm pretty proud of. Right. Um, but I made it really long so I could, I, I could only need to add like a nickel or two in the nose. And so what I ended up doing is like, okay, took out all that weight. And then I put an APAC motor or FPAC. So 2205, 2300 motor with a, with a basically quad pop, uh, quad prop. So, Five by four, five by three. Um, they're really durable. It's part of the reason why I did it. Um, and I hooked it up with a, it has a 20 amp ESC and a really small battery. We're talking something like a two or three cell, 450 milliamp, you know, nothing. So the idea is to basically get it up in the air high enough to be able to turn off the motor and let it glide for a while. Um, okay. So, so you can get it up there without assistance. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and so for the initial launch, I think I something happened. I didn't have the the strap for the for the transmitter, and I was like, "How the heck am I supposed to launch this?" I, I'm worried about holding onto the transmitter and throwing this at the same time because it's a six, it's like a five foot wingspan or something. It's really big. Yeah, I'd be a little um, worried myself. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, I don't know." So one of the guys was out at the field. He's like, "Hey, would you mind? Uh, do you need help launching that?" I said, "Honestly, that would be a big help." So he launched, he did a great job. And I think it was a little tail heavy because I, there's something with plankers, the, the plank planes, the CG is really close to the front edge of the wing. And that, in my mind, that defies, like it defies what should be. Like in my right. mind, it should be at the spar. Mm-hmm. But on a planker, I guess because you want the CG to be almost at the center of lift. Um, whereas in a normal plane, you want a little bit further behind. Um, anyway, it's just a lot for a lot further forward than I thought. Uh, so I put it back and then, uh, I think the control surfaces were a little out of whack. And so when I released it, it turned to the left and it was not, and because 
the control surfaces are right next to the fuselage. It's a six foot wing, but the big surfaces are right next to the fuse. It doesn't actually have a lot of like controllability. What I wasn't thinking, there's a giant tail on the thing, right? It's all <laughs> rudder. And I'm not using the rudder because I'm not used to it. I'm thinking, oh no, this isn't turning fast enough. And it started coming back to the to the line and I ended up having to kind of ditch it. Well, the fuselage, which is in like three or four sections that are kind of butt, uh, butt glued um, with like uh, hot glue, didn't hold up. It, it just basically kind of crumpled. But they were in pretty big sections, so it was easy to just kind of piece them together, put some tape on it. And I went back out again and I balanced it a little bit further forward and I gave it a quick go. And I'll tell you what, it flew real nice. I was flying it around the field. It didn't really gain a lot of altitude. Um, I'm not sure if maybe the battery I chose was like halfway out of juice or it was a two cell and I thought it was a three cell. Just kind of grabbed something that looked like it was ready to go. And so I'll go back out and try it again. But it was relaxing. That's part of what I love about those planes is they're relaxing. And I know once I get it some altitude, I might be able to catch a thermal and just relax and just kind of have it hang in the sky for a while. I just mm -hmm. have to remember it's a primarily rudder controlled plane. So when I kick the rudder, it's at a little bit of an angle. So it actually, it gives a little bit of elevator as it yaws. So it ends up actually creating almost like a semi-roll action to turn the plane as it goes. Um, right. So it creates almost like a coordinated turn effort when you turn, when you put the rudder in. So it, it works really good. And I, I'm, not, I'm so not used to using the rudder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I have a little video of it just kind of gliding around a little bit. Um, it was kind of the end of the battery, which wasn't very big to begin with. Uh, and I, I told my son, I said, quick, grab it, <laughs> get a quick video. <laughs> I said, I think I'm running out of juice. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he, he caught the end of it, which was nice. Uh, anyway, and then like today, uh, my son was, uh, we were looking at some online videos. I think Josh Bardwell was doing some stuff. He's like, how does it flip? How does it do this? I'm like, yeah, well, let's go find out. So I grabbed the Tina Whoop and I had a couple batteries that were charged and ready. And so I plugged them in and I just kind of tooled around the yard a bit and just had some fun out in the front. Uh, did a little bit of, uh, I started out with Acro and then I, I, I'll call it graduated, um, but I got comfortable enough with the controls again that I was able to do rate mode or air mode, uh, which is basically how they usually do that in the DLG. Uh, the Drone Racing League, DRL, sorry, Drone Racing League. So the drone racers use the the rate mode, but they basically okay. set the angle of the prop uh, of the thing, and they're really just throttle control to, to keep elevation. So they're only using the right-hand stick to adjust the angle that the quad is at, whereas like a, um, what is that called? Well, kind of like with the DJI, like it always, when you let go of the stick, it goes to level. Right. Um, so this control, that that uh, rate mode, uh, wherever you leave the stick, that's where the, that's whatever angle the the uh, quadcopter will stay at. So I was okay. I, at the end, I was flying in that mode, which is cool. And it, it seems like it'd be really hard, but if you set it to the mode where it's just moving forward, all you're doing is kind of driving it around. And you're using the mm -hmm. throttle to increase your speed a little and uh, lose or gain altitude. So it, it's, it's neat. 
uh, it was, it's where it felt nice to be able to do that and feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got through a couple batteries and then, uh, something happened. Uh, oh, I realized what was wrong with my, uh, goggles. It was a Dean's connector XT60, XT60, um, what do you call that? Uh, where it changes from one to the other. Conversion. Thank you. Like a little conversion <laughs> thing that I made between the two pieces. Well, apparently it was when my soldering skills were worse than it is now. Um, and it just like came apart. <laughs> uh, so the, the connection was pretty much fault, uh, faulty. Um, okay. And so I've since glued it back together. It'll be fine. Or uh, soldered it back together. I mean. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> you're like, glue's not going to work. <laughs> you know what? I was going to wait it out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he knows something I don't. No, I don't know. I don't, not, a, not about solder. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I put that back together so the goggles should work great. Um, but I was able to get a little bit of video of that. I can't wait to put that together and kind of throw it up on the channel and just sort of share it. But I know you got to see, you know, what it's like to fly around, I guess, with a quad, which um, it's neat. Uh, it's a different experience completely. But uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I, my neighbors are so tolerant. I'm always flying something around in the front yard, something little like that, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's it's good. Um, and then you know, uh, on the workbench, uh, I've been I pulled out the old Beechcraft Starship that a uh, guy on the forums had kind of designed, and he gave me like a chance to build. He's like, "Hey, could you build this and let me know what's you know if there's something iffy with the build?" Um, and then he was not able to get it to fly. So I'm going to give it a try and hope, cross my fingers, it works. I'm using those uh, $3 Hyperion motors that'll uh, push a 6x4 props on the back. You've ever seen, they're okay. basically like the commuter jets. You know, it's a dual prop pusher with a canard. Uh, they're really sleek looking. Um, so I'm excited to get it in the air and see if I can get it to fly. So uh, I'm finishing up putting in the electronics now, soldering up some connectors and a a splitter between an XT60 from the battery to two XT30 connectors that go to the ESCs. Um, and then once I do that, then I should be able to put some landing gear on it real quick and hopefully it'll work. And then if that works, I might be able to entice uh, my girlfriend to come back out with me because she really loves like airliner, you know, kind of stuff. Like this whole flying a biplane or a dusty crop popper. Like she's like, who cares? Like that's not important, <laughs> you know. But if I bring out a jet, she's like, oh, all of a sudden that wouldn't be a bad idea. I'll, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just check that out, you know. So I'm hoping I can do that. Uh, I repaired the baby SR seventy one, and I've got a mount for the another Hyperion motor because again, I, I bought a bunch of those. So I'm gonna mount up another Hyperion motor and give that another try. Uh, with any luck, I'll have uh, learned and reduced my rates so I can control it. Last time it was fast, uh, and the rates were set way too high. Um, the throws were were massive compared to what it needed, because the mm -hmm. control surfaces are right behind the thrust. So it might as well be uh, it, it might as well be um, back thrust vectoring for yeah. for where it sits. You know, so <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh, that. I need to reduce that. But uh, anyway, so that's more or less uh, close to ready to go. So I'm suspecting by the end of this week, I'll have both of those ready to put in the air and Dusty will be back in ship shape. Uh, 
And so I'll probably see them out again in a little bit. But I mean, that's what I've been working on. And that's what I've been up to. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to being able to get a little bit more of that uh, in the coming week. Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess that brings us to uh, what uh, maybe uh, listener comments. Um, we had one comment uh, since we last kind of looked. Actually, we had it from a while back. We just didn't. Facebook is a wild maze of subpages and places to put stuff. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I hate that I don't get notifications when things go up on our page and yeah. maybe one day I can figure out why, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Joe, Joe would be a lot better to be on top of that. I swear. Uh, but so I'm sorry, Seth, uh, that we didn't see this until just a little bit ago, but Seth Burge uh, had given us a quick comment on the flying car post that I posted somewhere in the midst of uh, Bilgeworry. Uh, mm -hmm. I said, awesome post, uh, post pics of it flying. And I just started listening to your podcast. Great content. Keep it up. So that was a nice little boost. Yeah. And thanks for that, Seth. You know, and encouraging words are always welcome. And, you know, it, it makes us feel good. All right. And now for uh, a new segment that we're going to start with and see, see where it goes. Uh, as we start tackling each one of these topics, uh, one of the things that I found really fun as part of the builds is to research the history of the planes we're working on or the thing um, you're involved with, whatever it is. Uh, and so in the effort of, in, in that vein, uh, we're gonna talk about coverings with our guest, Chris. Uh, so I wanted to, I took a quick minute to look up some of the history of coverings with aircraft. Um, so originally, uh, the, the aircraft were made out of, uh, wood frames and then they were covered by organic fabrics such as Irish linens or cottons, and they were used to cover the whole uh, airframe. However, their tendency was to sag and let the structure, uh, get exposed to the elements. And uh, of course, to counter that problem, they needed to do something to the fabric and help protect it. So they began coating it with oils and varnishes. And by 1916, which is a scant, what, almost decade later, uh, a mixture of cellulo cellulose and dissolved nitric acid called nitrate dope. Um, and uh, honestly, we use very similar stuff nowadays, and we just call it dope. Um, mm -hmm. And it came to be uh, used as aircraft uh, fabric coating and it basically protected the fabric and adhered really well to it. And it helped kind of tighten up the frame. Um, and it's cause it would shrink the fabric just a, ever so slightly and it would okay. make it smooth and it would be durable when it dried. Uh, the only problem is nitrate dope is extremely flammable. Um, a flammable substrate like cotton or linens. Uh, so that, that was yes. one major drawback. <laughs> That's fuel on fuel. <laughs> exactly, right? But, I mean, uh, otherwise it worked really well and it solved a lot of the problems. So one of the things they tried to do was to try to address the flammability issue and they prepared uh, cellulose uh, dissolved in butric acid uh, called butrate dope. Uh, and that basically protected the fabric from dirt and moisture much like the other stuff did. 
Um, but it didn't really adhere as well to the fabric as the nitrate dope did. <clears throat> and so what they ended up doing is basically kind of combining the two methods. So first they would coat it in the nitrate dope for its adhesion and protective qualities, and then they would follow it up with coats of uh, butrite dope, um, and then that would help reduce the overall flammability of the fabric covering and then continue to protect it. So that was okay. kind of what they ended up settling on, and they used that for, you know, probably through World War One, And then at that point, as you started pulling towards World War II, the, the German aircraft designer Hugo Junkers, uh, famous for his Junker aircraft, um, is considered, he's the, one of the pioneers of the metal aircraft. By World War II, many aircraft designs started using the metal, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this because it is a French word, is it's monocoque, um, which is basically it's um, the structure is the skin. So they basically used aluminum skinning, um, which also provided basically a shell that was a structural shell as well. And then okay. uh, and then and it was kind of needed because uh, as the motors got faster and bigger and the props uh, pulled the plane through the air faster, with the higher airspeeds, they needed something that could resist um, the forces of the wind better. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays, in modern fabric coverings, we usually use synthetic materials such as Dacron or butrite and, and butrite dope for adhesives. Uh, and it's often used in the restoration of old, older types of originally originally covered with more traditional methods. You'd use basically the Dacron and the butrite instead to kind of I'll call modernize or update the coating. And it gives a similar look where it's a fabric over top of a frame that's been doped. Uh, okay. And obviously you have uh, carbon fiber and things like that that are also making their way. They tend to be a little bit more expensive, um, but they also add more structural uh, benefits than the traditional cotton and linen and Dacron. So, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's, that's a modern, that's a full-size aircraft. Um, and I know somewhere in the 50s, the plastic industry was burgeoning with new products. And one of them was that ultra coat or a monocoat, which was basically a pretty thin plastic that when it was heat treated, it would shrink and tighten. And that has been pretty much used in the RC industry ever since, or at least a version of it. Um, right. So... So yeah, uh, coatings have been an important piece to making airplanes the useful, uh, useful tool that we've we've had since you know, since they were invented back at the turn of the century. All right. Well, thank you for looking that information up. I know you talked to me earlier today about it, uh, mm -hmm. wanting to you know bring a a historical context to the the coverings topic. So. Appreciate you doing that little bit of research. Sure. Um, do you do you have anything else before we get back in with Chris? No, I have nothing new. I'm All looking right. forward to talking to Chris again. Let's go. All right, we're gonna get back to our conversation with Chris, where we talk about coverings. So, what's the goal of a covering? Right, it's hopefully to make your plane look amazing. Right. Uh, either you've got a livery kind of planned out, maybe some specific kind of scale look or or something else, or maybe you're like me most of the time, and I just need to be able to tell up from down and left from right 
so that way uh, <laughs> I can get better orientation. Mm. Uh, and certain planes are especially difficult um, to tell up from down and left from right. I, I know wings tend to be pretty difficult once they get out there. It's tough to tell top from bottom. That seems to be, I mean, they naturally have the it's going this way look because they're, you know, they, they're shaped like an arrow. But uh, you, yeah. you kind of need to know if they're going up, if you're looking at the top side or the bottom side, because yeah, that's a big difference. Anyway, so there's a million different ways to do that. Um, so we're going to start going through, I think we've got about uh, eight or ten uh, here. So why don't we start talking about that, Joe? Uh, one of you, I know you've done a couple, you've got, uh, you've done a couple coatings like spray paint or, or some skins. Why don't you talk about those? Okay. And, um, Chris, at any time, feel free to add in if you've got something to add, uh, on any of these, but yeah, I've done spray paint and I've done, uh, the printed skin and with the spray paint really, I guess one could argue that it add, it may add, I will argue that it adds a little bit of strength to the plane because uh, I seriously think that that Spitfire I built would have been ripped completely in half except that the uh, spray paint <laughs> added a little bit of strength to the uh, paper of the foam board. But, you know, all I was really doing there was lightly uh, misting the foam board with the spray paint. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't looking to, like, really soak it in or... Get get it so wet that's when a take forever to dry, but b risk delaminating uh, the paper. And at the time, I wasn't sure. I'm actually still not sure if the spray paint, like the aerosol or the the chemicals within spray paint, was going to impact the foam. So I was just doing several uh, light coats to get down my base coloring, uh, and then kind of once that base coat was there, uh, I could go a little thicker. Uh, the The spray painting was nice because it was easy. I mean, overspray out of the equation uh, where I got paint on my garage floor, but it was real nice, easy, just kind of spray, uh, you know, let it dry, roll it over, spray some more. Uh, going gentle, I was able to spray, you know, in the hinges or even the servos, and the servos didn't seem to get gummed up by it at all. Um, but there, I know there's more that you can do with it to get a plane looking real nice because I just did big a big blobby camo kind of paint job. But I know you can do like stencils for positive or negative, uh, whether you're doing a, you're cutting out and you're spraying the inside of that or you're cutting out and you're going to put that down and spray around it and remove the paper and that doesn't get painted. So you can get some different designs going. Um, yeah. I liked how that turned out. Chris, I think you've done uh, some spray painting with some of yours. Maybe even, did you spray paint your Mustang or did you do something else with that? Yeah, actually the Mustang itself, it was just a straight up straight or a straight up spray paint job. There was no polyurethane that went onto it, which is my usual, my usual thing. Uh, it was, it did take a lot of coats. Um, the Mustang itself was like, it was like four or five colors altogether. And mm -hmm. each, each color probably takes, you know, three or four coats by the time you go through it right so there's a lot of masking off so there a lot of prep work and everything like that but yeah. you can make it look pretty scale or like you do man there's no shame in that whole camo look either man like i mean there's you know half my planes have the same sort of look to them and like you said uh matt it's you know yeah. even about just about orientation right so depending on the plane and how how you want it to look or how scale you want it to look there's there's always a different purpose either way but uh yeah, with the spray paint going, the light coats, that's definitely the way to do it. It's uh, 
it's definitely um, you don't want to delaminate that that paper at all, right? Because then you just not only does it look bad, but it, it does take away from the strength of the plane as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and as far as your as far as your garage floor goes, make sure it always stays dusty. That way, you're able to sweep off the overspray. <laughs> oh, yeah. dusting well, garages having, for the win, huh? <laughs> yeah, and between having uh, you know done some of the spray painting on the plane and my wife uh, spray painted her uh, what's now her office desk in there with a fire engine red, like I, I really got some overspray. I cleaned off my garage floor. Um, <laughs> now I didn't pay too much attention to the uh, satin or gloss or semi gloss when it came to the spray paint when I was painting the Spitfire. Have you found that it makes any difference as far as the application of it or the final result? Like, does it help or hamper going gloss or semi-gloss or satin, Chris? Uh, I, I've, I've seen differences in it where um, if you if you start out with a gloss coat and then you want something to look matte over top of it, it's uh, you, it does take a few coats of, of, the, of the matte. Like, say, say a flat black over top of, like, a gloss red or a blue or something like that to give you contrast Mm -hmm. it does take a couple coats to actually get that flatness back kind of idea Mm -hmm. your first coat or two will still have that kind of glossy coming through kind of thing yeah um but yeah you do need a few coats to get that get that matte back a lot of times too it just comes down to the color you're looking for like a lot of people like the warbirds not to be glossy right but if you got like a sport plane like something that's a 3d plane or something like that they just love it to shine and look like you know a piece of glass right so it mm-hmm. all depends on what you're looking for really right but yeah i yeah. like to mix them up too like on my, on my spitfire it should have been um all pretty much all uh all matte kind of idea because it, it, it was a warbird kind of idea, but it, i mm-hmm. ended up painting it a gloss blue and then having you know the matte white and the, the matte black over top of it with you know the whole mm-hmm. camo thing going on and stuff like that so it was it was just a conglomerate Man, 40 feet in the air and 40 miles an hour, it doesn't matter, to tell you the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's something to think think about. I mean, there's a lot of meticulous detail when we talk about these coverings. And I think the meticulous detail is primarily, it's really for when it's on the ground and you're looking at it, or it's in your your hangar, right, at home. And you're like, oh, man, that plane looks good. Because you get to look at all the details. But when, you know, when it's, 50 feet or 100 feet up and cruising past uh, the details a lot of them get washed out so um yeah. one of the mm-hmm. things uh, i got a question for you uh tips on um when you mask things off do you just take like a a piece of poster board and kind of tack it down uh what i found is i always worry that if i'm doing one coat and then i want to do another coat over top and i mask it i'm worried that i'm going to like damage the undercoat of the previous spray layer is it, are there any tips on that? No, man. Yeah, you just it's it's about surface prepping, man. That happens to me all the time, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I I get too excited when I start painting, and I just I totally <laughs> skip it out on it, kind of kind of thing. But you got okay. areas that are taped off, like you got any hinges or any poster board that's like taped down to like the foam board or the fuse, that kind of stuff. Make mm-hmm. sure you take like a four hundred sandpaper or even like a Scotch Bright sort of sort of you know brillo pad or something like that and really scuff up that uh if you've used packing tape kind of idea okay. that plastic sort of sort of packing tape definitely scuff it up because anytime you mask over top of that like anything that's raw foam board or raw poster board it'll take a mask you know it won't pull the paint off because it soaks into that 
that paper, but uh, that plastic, it doesn't soak into, so there's nothing for it to bite on. So anything okay. that you mask across that, like say you want a nice line that ends up going through a hinge line that you have taped off, and right. you're going to end up losing paint that you've already put down on top of it if you don't prep it properly. So that's kind of that's kind of mm -hmm. would be my big tip on that one for sure. Well, that's good advice. Um, one of the yeah. things I've also heard, and this is just a general tip, if you're a noob and you've made your plane and it's balanced and you're like, this is it. This is the best place, right? I know where I'm marking my battery. I know where everything is at. But then you go and spray paint it because you know it flies and you're like, this is exciting. Keep in mind, the mass of the plane's surface area is behind the CG. So when you spray it, you're adding weight behind the CG and you will need to shift the battery up just a little bit. Um, I, usually, I usually paint that stuff before I do the balancing and all that kind of stuff because then when I mark where the battery is supposed to go, I know that it's, you know, balance on the right center, G, uh, center gravity weight. Just go back and make sure that it, the center of gravity is still where it needs to be. Like you've got everything marked yeah, right. That is a good point for shift. sure, man. I've actually, mm -hmm. I think I proved that to myself since I recently <laughs> gotten a uh, scale and I, I was test testing out to see how much paint actually weighs on a plane, right? right? So weigh it, weigh it before paint, weigh it after paint and see, see what mm -hmm. kind of difference you get. And well, it, it is interesting, like, the amount of weight that it really adds, like say on the average plane that has like a 36 inch wingspan, you're going to add about, I don't know, it depends the amount of coverage you put on it, but you could add anywhere from 15 to 30, 40 grams, you know, depending oh, wow. on how wild you, wild you, wild you are. So that's like a now, if you think, if you think of two thirds of that weight is now gone behind the CG, like you were saying, or even three quarters of that weight because of surface mm -hmm. area, say you got a twin boom, that's more surface area kind of thing, or however yeah. big the tail surfaces are, it's. That's all surface mm -hmm. area, right? Even though it's thin foam board, you're doubling up if you're painting to both top and bottom, right? So yeah, exactly. yeah you're adding like like <clears throat> possible if you've gone to the max end of the scale, another thirty grams to the tail, right? Between right. And if CG you're, if and, you're, and, the, and the end of the tail. Yeah, ten grams behind the CG, you know, by you know, what is it, five inches or something like that, that might be enough to make it fly tail heavy and you may not recover it. So just just as a word to the wise. Um, that was one of the things I'd heard and I was like don't forget that, Matt. You're going to need that later. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that's why I didn't balance the CG on the F-22 until after I'd sprayed it. Like, I didn't put the battery in and balance it until after, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, good point. Right on. Cool. Nice. Well, that's a good point. The The only other real covering experience I have, aside from, you know, wrapping uh, two pieces of colored tape around one side of the wing, give me, like, a double band on the fogey so I knew which wing was which, um is a printed skin which uh really for me has just been when i did the uh hrc vulture and then coming up when i do the hrc 7 uh and that was that was a different experience uh because it was an extra step in the building process of having to mm -hmm. delaminate the foam and spray the uh the contact glue onto the back of the skin that you then cut out and then having to apply it and Please, 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 if you go with a printed skin and you apply it this way, do not spray the uh, the glue onto the foam. Um, right. The, the accelerants in the glue are are basically dissolvents of the foam. So they will eat through the foam. Right. And, yep. and eat through the foam it did, especially considering that uh, – so two things there. One, anytime I've ever used that, uh, that contact glue or that spray glue, it was always – glue you two surfaces 
let them kind of mm-hmm. tack off and then beat them up and they'll stick together. Uh, so that was my first expectation to do. The other is that when I went to Lowe's to buy my spray glue, I decided I'm going to go for the super heavy duty stuff uh, that basically was spraying out of the can like snot. Um, it <laughs> was just spider webbed all over that and it just instantly started chewing through that glue. And, you know, I know we talked about it before, but I ended up having to completely rebuild or recut out the fuse of the seven because, yeah. I mean, I just completely ate it up. Um, yeah, I, I remember. And I think our listeners remember when we were talking about that. What was it October? Jeez, that was a while back. September ish. Yeah, yeah it's September and October. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but, well, okay, so what are the pluses, right? Like, there's, it's obviously we've got the, you know, the, the warning, right? But what, what are, so why would you choose to go with a printed skin? What do you get from that? I mean, I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have to worry about design. You know, it was already mm. done. It looked good. The color was nice. I wasn't worried about unevenness in color. And somebody mm-hmm. else designed it. You know? <laughs> so I didn't have yeah. to worry about, you know, is it is it going to look right? Like, is the final product going to line up or the line's going to be straight? Like, in this case, mm-hmm. because somebody else did the work, you know, it was it was ready to go. Um, right. And I do feel like if, if you glue it down right and you're – you know, you're careful where you build. There's some extra strength added to the plane from that. There's also mm-hmm. extra weight depending on the paper yeah. they use. Uh, I know Sam right. was using uh, some very high high quality or real thick uh, paper with his build or his skins. So there was a, mm-hmm. a good bit of weight probably added on to that. But at the same time, uh, as long as that glue holds, you know, it's there's some extra strength. protection for the foam there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so what about color fastness? Did, we didn't really talk about that with the spray paint. Um, most of the modern spray paints seem to be pretty, pretty good to sitting out in the sun and keeping their color. Uh, and I, I guess I, we haven't had any printed skin planes for long enough to know how well they hold up to the sunlight, you know? Yeah, I can't speak to that, Chris. Do you got any? Yeah, I've never really that? done the printed skin thing or anything. Uh, I've I've laminated like like a poster board or like a thick paper, peeling mm-hmm. off the original foam board paper just for like protection on a belly lander or something like that on the underside or something. But uh, okay, yeah, I've never done the actual printed skin thing. So color fastness, okay. I can imagine it would just be it would depend on the paper and the ink <clears throat> you're using or yeah, yeah. If, whether you're printing them yourself or if you're getting them from a factory or. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all I can urge is that if you have it, um, keep them away from the window that shoots sunlight at your plane every single day when you're not using it. Mm. If you can, you know, uh, I've had, I mean, we do prints where I work all the time and I've got some older prints that have lost a lot of color over. It's a matter of like three years of sitting next to the window. You know, have the window, you have the, have the sunlight coming every day, you know? Um, so if so if you're storing your plane just if you can keep it out of direct sunlight, you know, that's the that's probably the best warning I can give you for a printed skin. Um so yeah, I don't think any of us have had any of these kind of operating for long enough to be able to tell you how long they'll last, but I think it's any as long as you uh can keep the plane flying. <laughs> In my experience. Yeah, there you go. You know, they'll last as long as you keep the plane going. So um, it's not like uh, balsa planes tend to last. Uh, they seem to last a lot longer. So I think that tends to be a bigger concern there. So nice. 
I did um, crash my planes done, uh, a lot. A... I tend yeah. to crash my planes <laughs> a lot, so I mean, I don't, I can't really tell you color fastness or anything like that, right? So. <laughs> Well, what that means is that you're out there having a lot of fun with it. That's yeah, it. absolutely. Well, Chris, you've done uh, like you've done the spray paint and you've done some other stuff. Why don't you take some time and talk about you know covering techniques you've done, and then Matt, you can kind of wrap that this section up. Yeah, yeah. So I got uh, like I said, I kind of I kind of got a lot of experience with that uh, polyurethane coating. Uh, the reason why I like it is because it's not only does it um, you know waterproof your foam board so it doesn't delaminate, but uh, it it makes it really a lot easier to paint you don't have to go in such light coats after it's cured kind of thing it's um okay. okay it just makes the prep work just so much easier right again if you do have uh you know the any sort of packing tape holding anything down or you know uh lining up your leaning at leading edge of the wing or um you know uh lining up your hinges or something like that then you're going to want to prep it again uh before mm-hmm. you do the polyurethane coat because any paint that goes over top of it Oh, after the, the the polyurethane, it's you got any masking on there, it'll, it'll actually pull the paint off, right? So you want to do the prep work as okay. well with this. So just a, a heads up, but the polyurethane coat is really good for the foam board. Does give it, um, it does harden the out that outer paper really well okay. as well. It soaks into the fibers and smooths it out, so um, it makes it uh, a lot more durable to like scratches that kind of thing, um, breakage kind of actually even kind of makes. If, if, if you do get, say, like a broken wing tip or a broken, you know, nose or something like that off your airplane, it does make it a little bit easier to fix. Everything just kind of seems to go back together a little easier. Okay. Um, so, okay. yeah, there's 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 definitely a lot of pluses to it, but uh, it does take a lot of time to apply sometimes. Like there is there is the wiping it on or, or the actual brushing it on, letting it sit for a couple minutes, maybe do another part of the plane and then come back to it and have to wipe it off then let it dry and give it, you know, a couple hours of cure time before you actually paint on it. But once it's done, then your prep work's done. And then you just go ahead and you, you paint it wherever you want, however thick you want kind of thing, right? So. Right. And then you don't have to worry about it if it's like, if it starts raining or if you're in like in your case, you got a lot of snow. So if you bust it in some snow and bring it inside, all that snow that's melting isn't going to yeah. destroy your plane in the process. You don't have to make sure it's like, uh, moisture free before you put it away um, i mean no, you kind of exactly. want to but i'm just saying like if you bring it into your car or you bring it inside to like do some things to it you don't have to like you know for me i'm always like oh i, I better get a towel and wipe it all down and make sure it's all dry because this plane is going to go to pieces um if i don't you know yeah because uh, i don't i don't no, typically do the same. polyurethane coat yeah same thing with me and that's that's definitely a big plus too you do get the uh the water resiliency out of it too as well right i mean the water will just bead right off it. You do have to use an oil-based water or an oil-based uh, polyurethane. It can't right. be a water-based well, one. Well, why, why not the water-based with the foam board? Well, the water-based stuff was, is it'll delaminate the foam foam as soon as you apply it, given the fact that it is water-based. The oil-based okay, doesn't okay. do that. It doesn't uh, uh, take the adhesion out of the uh, the glue that holds the paper to the paper to the foam. So yeah, yeah, kind the of oil based stuff, it. you can you can get it in just like a can, like a little paint can. You mm-hmm. can get it in a spray bomb, rattle can, sort of sort of thing. However you want to do it, yeah. but yeah, no, it works out really well. Yeah, I found that uh, if you're going to do more than just like one plane, uh, that little can is going to be the best bang for your buck. Mm. It goes mm. a lot further than the rattle cans do. Yeah, I've also played around with the uh, with the colored markers, like sharpies and stuff like that as well. 
So like okay. uh, I'll, a lot of times I'll do those, uh, use that for like details. So like say, say I wanted okay. to put panel lines down or rivets or, you know, little uh, bullet holes, that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, any sort of like line work for like windows or anything like that, or, you know, okay. I've, even, I, I've actually painted a whole plane that was, uh, that was just a white foam board. I've done the whole <laughs> thing in marker where it was, like, I was wondering white and black and red and it was whole whole like rainbow of colors going on and it was all done in marker yeah. again 40 feet in the air and 40 miles an hour it, you it can't tell matter. the difference right so right it's, it was just all about <laughs> orientation right so but yeah. uh but yeah no I, I like using it for detail work and stuff like that too the, the markers work out really well they're they're not really mm -hmm. they're they're not so color fast like if you do fly in the rain a lot like say you do have it all polyurethane and detail work is on there yeah. it's not so color fast it does stay there so that you can just retrace retrace it over it's not like it bleeds everywhere but oh, okay uh, it it will fade in the sun that kind of stuff if you're using like colors like red uh red sharpie Yellow. that kind of thing yeah. well depending on the brand i guess some some last longer than others right but yeah. you know yeah. if you're stealing your little sister's crayolas i guess they're probably not going to last as long as a sharpie right so oh, those are wax <laughs> they'll be fine <laughs> there you go. Unless, no, that's you're right those are good points i was wondering if there's like a you know if you've used different kinds of markers where like oh no the the water-based ones you I mean you, you try it but just do it on planes you don't care about and if you're going to do something that you really are excited about use like a sharpie or something that's more oil-based or a, some other other base material so it'll it'll stay uh when it gets wet Okay, yeah. well, good. Uh, any anything else? I know you've done a little bit of balsa, so I know I, we Joe and I are both eager to hear about your monocoating experience. Um, oh, but have man. you used anything else, or or do you I want was, to talk about the monocoat now? Yeah, it's the the monocoat. Like I've only done the monocoat once, and I I got into it, and uh, of course there's you know it's it's not just foam board, you know, and a you know a rattle can. It's you got you got to get some tools to to actually do it right. So there's there was yeah. a little bit of expense getting the iron. You know, mm -hmm. um, the, the monocoat itself, you're looking at it like, you know, 15, 20 bucks roll, whatever sort of brand you're going with. Right. But, uh, right. So I had, I had three colors going down on my plane, the black, the orange and the white. So that ended up being three rolls at, you know, 45, 50 bucks kind of thing, just in your covering alone. Right. So yeah, there's right. definitely an expense to it. And when you do look at what you get and what you need to cover and man, it being your first time, you don't know how many times you're going to screw it up. So. Do I have enough? That kind of thing, and so right, uh, you're uh, you're you're definitely you know you're you're looking at wanting to do it right the first couple times and not keep screwing up and making the same mistake as you're doing the process, right? So, um, right. there was there was some practice work to it, man. I was apprehensive too, man. It was I was almost scared to do it, but there was uh, Jesse actually on Discord here. He was uh, talking about he's like get a couple of old sprues that you've taken the parts out of, kind of idea yeah. from like building the plane. And he's like, just practice on those. And I was like, that's genius, man. I, I, I should have thought of that, right? And I did a couple of those. <laughs> and it took about four or five, but I got my technique down with the iron. And then I, I had tried out a heat gun as well. And that worked out really well, just on like the, the larger expansive sort of areas. So, um, okay. yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a little bit of practice, you know, on, like I said, scrap pieces of sprue. And uh, okay. you do get your technique down. You do find what works for you and what works in certain areas and not in others and that kind of thing. And um, you know, you start out with a with a simple plane, and it's it does get to be pretty easy to do. Check it out on YouTube as well, man. Like I I did a lot of research just on how to do monocoat and how to 
you know, mm-hmm. apply monocoat over top of monocoat, like different techniques and everything like that and what people are doing, right? So it um, definitely doing the research on it is definitely a big thing. Okay. Yeah, that, I, I'm i with you. Yeah, there's a lot of great videos on it and there's a lot of mediocre videos and all of them have uh, different things to add, you know? Yeah, you kind of got to build your own technique from a little bit of this, a little bit of that and, you know, mm-hmm. trial and error and then find out what works for you, right? But uh but yeah, no, I, I definitely got a technique going for, um, you know, using using the iron in certain places, using the heat gun in other areas and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, no, it, it did work out really well. So what, okay, so if you're new to the hobby, right, <clears throat> um, and you've only just started building, had it, and maybe having some of your first successes with some foam board, what is this Monaco thing? I mean, what what is the product? So Monaco itself, it's, it's monaco it's going to be it's going to be like a, a it's almost kind of like a stiff vinyl that has its own adhesive so okay. it it's adhesive will has a certain melting point and the the vinyl itself has a certain melting point the vinyl itself at that well not really a melting point but a shrink point so at that shrink point it kind of pulls everything tight and takes takes the wrinkles out right so okay. um you apply it uh you use an iron just kind of like uh set a couple set. edges by heating it up to the point where that adhesive kind of gets a little soft and sticks onto the balsa and okay. then uh you get get two or three edges going that way and then like i said i'm i'm probably explaining this wrong but this is what worked for me is then you, you go over it with either depending on the expanse that you're going over whether it's a solid or like an open cavity um and you go over it with the iron of the heat gun and it pulls it so that you can you can get it all nice and smooth and you know everything sticks down to the wood and it's completely adhesive, so it's uh, once once it gets to that temperature, the adhesive and that shrink point, everything pulls together, makes it nice and nice and tight and, and solid. Yeah, it actually adds a lot of strength too. It's uh, it's funny too because I was doing the wings on that uh, on that hair's pits, and uh, and the spar there, uh, just just the wing, the twist that it had in it before I covered it, like there was a certain amount of force that you'd have to give it, but there was there was definitely some some twist tip to tip kind of idea. As soon as I covered it, okay. you can definitely tell that that strengthened up by about three times after it was covered, right? So, it de- it definitely does add a lot of strength and and you know solidifies everything. As long as everything that you've built for, at that balsa point is straight and square and everything like that, everything right. should you know pull together nice and be nice and strong. Nice. Okay. Uh, I I was always worried that <clears throat> as you're trying to do this, you have to be careful not to I guess do one side more than the other and thereby introducing new twists. You know what I mean? Yeah, you do risk that. Or do you, um, do you have to like nail the thing down to the board, then do your thing, let it cool, and then try the next side or whatever? Yeah, uh, you do it one section at a time. Like uh, say say you got a full wing that goes from, uh, from tip to tip kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of want to start at one end and do like say, say the uh, the bottom half of one side of the wing first right so cut it up into four sections one side of the wing bottom half the other side you know do do do, do the bottom half of the other side you know, and then do both tops one section at a time kind of idea okay. you don't want to try to do it all in, all, all at once because okay. you're just gonna be manhandling it too much right so i got yeah. you but nice. that was, that's what worked for me and i was actually kind of surprised in how well it did work out like there was you look at it, you look down it kind of thing, and it's it's nice and straight. So, Yeah, it looked good. It looked good. Uh, I know your end product uh, looks something to be proud of for sure. 
Yeah, I just got to fly it now. You haven't flown it? No, man. I just don't. I don't have the. I don't have the conditions to fly it yet, man. It's still right. snow and winter, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I okay, gotta, well, I got to wait for a nice spring day when it's. I'll get that spring day going, man. You'll see it fly. I'll right. fly right out off Good. off the street here. You'll see. Okay, it. there you go. I'm excited to see that for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much. Uh, I really haven't. Uh, I really haven't done much more than that. Um, it's been. Uh, it's been pretty much all I needed so far. Do you? Uh, I haven't done any of the craft paper stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff uh, that we have here are more things that I've heard about and seen. And uh, there's a couple that I've tried. Um, one that I've done a lot of work with is colored packing tape. Uh, it was something that I think um, it, the flight test kind of highlighted at certain points. It is awesome because it is a uh, high color. It's a great solid colors. It's uh, regular packing tape pretty much, but it's colored. And so it's got that plastic look to it, which, which is part of what I think people like, you know, when they finish their plane in Monaco, it's this shiny look, you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. Like a high gloss kind of look. And, and the tape has a very similar uh, feel. You can do a lot of details with it. Uh, you can get a lot of uh, good solid colors uh, I've done the entire little, I did the little sea duck, like the APAC, the five inch propeller sea, uh, sea duck. And I did the whole thing in packing tape. And that is an endeavor. Um, I've laid down packing tape before I cut. I have laid packing tape after I cut. I've laid packing tape after the plane was built. And the ease of putting it down smoothly and in a manner that you can actually um, work with it easy, uh, I would have to say is after you cut the parts, you can lay down the packing tape on top of those parts and then trim it a lot easier than when you have a fresh board and you just coat the whole board and then cut the design out. Because when you cut the design out, you get a bunch of glue all over your knife and then the knife ends up gumming up and not being sharp. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And then that. you start ripping your foam board to pieces because you put packing tape on it so it looked really awesome when you're done. And then what ends up happening is you, it just doesn't look awesome. And the now, other half is uh, those exposed edges where you're cutting between the top and bottom layers, they're, they're going to be white. If you're doing a full color deal, unless your, your box kind of wraps around itself and meets, you're going to have exposed white edges, which maybe is fine. But it's something to consider when you're trying to figure out where you want to put your colored packing tape. Uh, and by, by far the hardest is after you've built the plane. And unless you're just putting like some color, like I've done a lot of the sunburst stripes and stuff. And those are really easy. You, know, you just lay a strip, you cut diagonal, and you put each diagonal down from a center point that you pick. And then you kind of do a series of those. And then you've got a really great design on top of your plane. It's easy to differentiate top from bottom. You know, it, it's really good, but, you know, uh, some people have used irons to kind of like adhere, extra adhere the glue around edges and corners when it's kind of a tough, tough to reach place. I've never done it, but I think it's because it's kind of like a, like the Monaco, it's still plastic. So at a certain heat point, the, the tape will shrink. And that will create a tension 
and it will also adhere at a certain point a little bit better, I think. So um, I can see that. I haven't done myself though, so I haven't really seen how well that works. But from the videos I've seen of people doing it, it looks awesome, and it's something I really need to start doing. Um, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I'll have to do that. Um, let's see. I've also seen people take Dollar Tree Cello Wrap, and I've exp I, I've uh, I've explored that a little bit with a very small plane. I probably should have done it with a big plane. I created um, a balsa look with basically a spar and ribs. And then I sprayed the inside of the Dollar Tree Cello Wrap and put it on top and did it much like you would with Monaco. And I used a heat gun and a little bit of a heating iron, you know, an actual like regular iron, which uh, as I understand it, the difference between a regular household iron and a covering iron is the thermistor's range is far tighter. So when you set a temperature, it keeps that range in a, in a much smaller gap. Then there's a lot more swing in like a household iron. That makes sense. So uh, one, of the, one of the benefits, like if you find a good, you know, look out for people who say that this iron is awesome, it's probably because it has a very tight range. When you put it at the temperature, it'll, it'll maintain that temperature a lot better than if you're like putting it on cotton or whatever, or synthetics, just hope it, hope it's enough to melt the, but not burn through it. <laughs> now, did you try using a heat gun with your, like a hot air gun with that Dollar Tree solar mm -hmm. wrap? Yes. I used the hot air gun and I used it on, I used it on high setting and I had to do that in very small bursts because that was very effective at almost melting the, the solar wrap. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> a, a hot air gun, I think, shoots out at like 500 degrees or something like that, some awful temperature. Um, and the monocoat and stuff, all, that, that, I think the temperature range is somewhere around like 250 or something, right? Is where it starts to shrink. It's, it's in like a two, 250 to 300, somewhere in that range. So when you're shooting 500 degree air at the, a thin coat of plastic, you're, you're bound to create trouble. So... Uh, doing it on a low air setting is probably your best bet. And you just be real careful. You put the heat on, you pull it off, you put the heat on, and you kind of regulate your temperature that way. Um, what I found was that I did end up creating twist because a foam airframe is just not nearly as strong as some other material, <laughs> like a, a balsa. Now, one of the things you can do, though, if you want to color like a solid wing, you can do the same thing. You put the cell wrap down, you do the spray glue, and you take it on that wing that you want to cover and you basically put it on top and you basically put it over top of the wing and kind of lay it down and smooth it out so it's all good. And as you come around the edges, you do a little bit of heat gun. So as it shrinks, kind of like you would with Monaco, kind of like you want to shrink it around the corners and the edges. And um, so, it, so it hugs it. And then what happens is that glue also activates with, with the heat. Um, and as I understand it, it creates a beautiful, tight, plastic, you know, solid color across the thing. Now, what I what I found when I tried a little bit of it, I tried it on a sample section, as I used blue Dollar Tree Cellar Wrap, and the blue was not as uh, consistent a color across the gradient. <clears throat> so you'd have blotches of dark blue and blotches of lighter blue, which okay. if... You know, again, I should have thought about it and thought, well, at 40 feet in the air, 
you know, going 50, you know, 40 miles an hour, it's, you know, what the heck is that going to matter? It's going to be blue and it's going to be some other color on the bottom, right? Like, but I, it was one of the things I was like, that's not the look I wanted. I was like, oh, I'm not going to keep using this. I think I'll do this. I'll try something else, you know? Uh, but it sounds to me like the Dollar Tree Cellar app is really like the, <laughs> the cheap man's monocote. Um, know that it's not a high performance product. It's not designed for that. It's designed to basically wrap an Easter basket and then, you know, heat shrink it so it wraps around the thing. But if your Easter basket, as you want to call it, is a foam wing, it's probably strong enough to actually hold to any shrinking pressures it has without introducing twist, and you'll get a large area of color quickly. So that's an option that I don't think a lot of people have used. I've seen a couple of people on the forums use it, and it, it really does turn out pretty remarkable. Um, I've actually seen a lot of people use it on like uh, indoor flyers. Don't they use it because it's really light, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it, that's it. Right. It's Dollar Tree. It's super thin. Like this is a tiny, thin sheet. And you could get, you know, I think they come in like a, uh, most of the Easter colors. So pink, yellow, blue, um, red, and clear, and mm -hmm. maybe an opalescent. So you can get some pretty neat effects with it. Uh, it's something I'm, I plan to use a little bit more of in the future. I just keep forgetting that I've got it up there every time I go to do something. Uh, and I go, ooh, spray paints. And then, or whatever it is, ooh, colored packing tape. Let me get some highlights on this, you know? Uh, so that kind of tends to lead to the wayside. Um, well, real quick on that, Matthew, because you, you're mm -hmm. saying you're using, uh, you're spraying some glue on. What glue are you using to put that oh. cellar, the cellar wrap on the foam board? Sure. It's the Super 77, the, the okay. standard spray glue uh what is that what, what's the brand uh 7m or something 3m 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 yeah it's 3m it's a super 77 the spray, spray adhesive, adhesive this known known yeah. worldwide but as i understand it there's a, a lot of the other adhesives work just as well uh, okay. honestly so you could probably just pick the one you like best that you've had the best experiences with and go with that i like like you were doing with the skins like the one thing you don't want is a bunch of blobs you know, that's, that's going to end up coming through eventually. Um, so, so that's pretty neat. I think, so the downfall is really just the color consistency. It's not as, so that I don't think the thickness as as tight a tolerance as it is with like a monocoat. You know what I mean? Because the monocoat, yeah. the, the stuff you can see through and stuff, it's really consistent color. You know, you're not getting like blotches of deep color and light color, you know, whereas with the yeah, I really like those transparents in the monocoat. That's nice. Oh, they, they make your plane really shine when you put them on. Uh, that's part of the reason why I brought, the, I bought the cellar. Yeah, you get to see the detail work on the inside. As exactly. Well. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and that's kind of why I bought the Dollar Tree. Cause if you make a bunch of holes in your wing to lighten, maybe a section up, you can coat it with the, the cellar wrap and still creep the aerodynamics the same without almost adding any weight you actually end up lightening the one section so and then you get okay. to look at the structure and it's like oh look look what i did <laughs> uh, that's awesome anyway so yeah so I, I did a little bit of actually i did a little bit of that now i use packing tape with this i did that to the back of one of my slope gliders sorry i was going to pull it over to show the guys but uh it's apparently attached to other things so um, okay, so that brings us to uh, Doculam in a similar note, right? Um, 
it's basically a plastic sheet with some uh, press what a pressure induced adhesive. Is that what it's called? Pressure sensitive adhesive, kind of like you would have oh, with wow. a countertop. Uh, if you buy okay. the laminating strips on a countertop, you basically press it with an iron, and it sort of activates, but it's the pressure that's doing a lot of the work. Um, uh, so it's that kind of thing. So it's a, a laminate, a plastic laminate with a, a pressure adhesive in it. And so what you can do is the same thing. You you know lay it across your foam, and you use either a heat gun or some people use an iron as they go, and they'll laminate a um, uh, a project that way. And because it's really accessible, right? And it's relatively inexpensive. I think I bought a roll for three bucks, and it's. Uh, 12 feet by one foot wide something like that okay. so that's, and that's really just good. coming up in the in the clear mm -hmm. like a laminate yep yep it's just a laminate and of course you can buy different thicknesses i think if you get really into it you can you can determine which thickness you want and of course each thickness i'm sure will have different strengths and different weaknesses and depending on the project like if you're looking at an indoor lightweight balsa winding, you know, rubber band wound deal, you're going to try to get as thin as possible, you know, uh, whereas like some of the bigger stuff, you, it won't matter. Uh, and one okay. of the things that that'll give you is it'll give you um, some protection and same with the colored tape. If you color tape the whole thing, it'll give you some moderate uh, moisture protection um, as well as some durability. Uh, it'll, it'll make your foam a little bit more crash resistant and have a little bit of strength. Um, is that possible? And as I understand, what to make it more crash resistant? Crash resistance? Uh, yes. It and <laughs> I've had things where it crashed, and I knew if it weren't covered in tape, it would have come to pieces. And Perhaps a better term is crash durable. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think I think my crash resistance comes from my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better crash resistance for sure. Yeah, it's a good point. Um. See, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else about the? Oh, I, as I understand, people say that you can. I'm trying to think if they said that you can, you can spray on top of the. They've had good experience with spraying on top of the doculam. Uh, either that, or you can spray underneath and put the doculam on top, and it still holds pretty well. I think mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with part of the process is you kind of bring the, the leading or trailing edge around either the front at front, you know, thing or the back edge. And then, so that kind of gives you like a little bit of grabbing. So when you're kind of ironing it it's, and sticking it down, if it shrinks a little bit, it'll, it'll keep it in place, I guess. All right. Um, admittedly, I have, I, I've got a roll here and I thought I'd get to it by the time uh, today came around, but uh, uh, I plan on giving it a try and I will update us when we get there. Uh, and I think the last thing is basically paper mache. It's, it's craft, you know, craft paper or uh, a newsprint, and using like a um, a watered down white glue, usually like a fifty percent mix water to to PVA glue, and then you basically okay. soak the soak the paper. You you remove, you know, you build your plane. You remove the outer paper um, from your foam. And then you basically repaper it with this, you know, white glue infused craft paper or uh, some people use craft paper, but a lot of people use newsprint, which you can buy really, really inexpensively. 
And then you lay it across your thing like you're doing a paper mache project you're in large strips or, or however you, you need. There's a couple of tutorials on YouTube of people doing different things. Um, and then you, you I mean, the, the difficulty is that you have to wait much, uh, much like, like a polyurethane coat where you just got to let it sit for a day, let the, the moisture dry out and that kind of stuff. But when you're done, what you have is a completely waterproof plane. It's easily paintable. It's far stronger. Uh, the surface is a lot, you know, it's a paper mache, so it's a lot harder. Um, it's a lot more durable against hard landings. Um, but it's a, it can be a little bit messy. It definitely takes some prep and you have to wait a while before it's done. Most of the time it's And I imagine it, your wait. transition between <clears throat> faces and edges can be kind of rounded out a lot easier with that method. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Just like any okay. paper mache pinata kind of deal, you kind of run your finger along it and kind of spread the, spread the paper around it. And you could create I didn't actually get to do a whole lot with easier. paper mache when I was a kid. Yeah, I did it a little bit here and there, and it was messy and fun. But now, as an adult, I don't know how much the fun would be in the mess. But you know, <clears throat> one good tip with that paper mache method too actually is uh, make sure you're soaking your paper in there and in, in your mm. in your glue because it'll actually it'll expand. Like if you're just wetting it and then throwing it on the plane, it'll expand as it soaks mm -hmm. into the paper fibers and it'll start making wrinkles on your plane. Like you'll, you'll think you have one side done and you go to the other side and you start doing the other side. And then you go five minutes later, you turn it around and you're looking at the original side and you're like, Oh, this is no good. Like it's it just got wrinkles <laughs> everywhere. So yeah, make sure you soak it, make sure it's well expanded. It's very soft. And when you apply right. it, it should, you know, it should be, it should end up nice and smooth. No surprises kind of thing. Right. So. Yeah, uh, and that's a good point, too, is because that paper expands with the moisture, after it's expanded, you lay it down, and then when it dries, it shrinks up tight like a drum. And so it ends up creating a really smooth, like where you might have a couple wrinkles, it'll smooth some of those small ones out. So, um, and it creates a nice taut surface. It's pretty cool. Um, thank you. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's a that's a good tip. Um I, and I guess if you use a colored craft paper, like a colored paper, it's just substrate. You could get a lot of color quickly. I don't know. I've never really, like, I imagine we could even do the point, printed yeah. skins and take a printed skin and do it that way. You just have to be a lot more careful. You know, I never really thought about it. But, and then when you're done, you've got this, you know, perfect looking plane because the printed skin should be matched perfectly to your plane. Um, and then when you're done, it's like hard as a rock, very durable, and it looks great, and it's protected you know, from moisture and all that stuff. So that might be worth trying. I think so. Kind of combining could be the your million-dollar idea right there. I don't know. I, I don't think I've got a million-dollar idea there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but it's worth trying, that's for sure. All right. Um, Chris, do you have anything else to add to coverings? Man, I don't really have a lot of experience with a lot of different coverings, so I kind of I kind of have a system I go with. Like I said, the polyurethane spray paint, and that's kind of what I've been sticking with. Monocoat was fun, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I've, I've kind of learned something here, so I'm gonna have to try out that paper mache, the cello wrap. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to actually uh, pull a couple pages from your book there, bud. Hey, maybe. Awesome then. Okay, well then that's gonna bring us to uh, towards the end of this episode. One of the things we like to do. 
when we have a guest on the show is send them through the lightning round where we kind of rapid fire some questions at you. Um, we don't know what they're going to be. We're just going to rattle them off to you. Give us our, give us your first uh, thought that comes to mind on those, and then we'll work on letting you go for the evening. How's that? Cool. Sounds fun. Let's do it. Matthew, would you like to start it off? All right, let's start it off. Sit or stand? Sit. Pinch or thumb? Thumb. Micro, park, or giant scale? Giant scale. Scout, duck, or goblin? Duck. Snow, water, pavement, or tall grass? <laughs> water. Nice. Back bacon, bacon strips, or sausage? Back bacon. Build or fly? Fly. Honey or maple syrup? Maple syrup, man. You're kidding me. Okay. <laughs> As a follow-up, light or dark amber? Dark amber. Nice. Three cell or four cell? Four cell, baby. Yeah, all the way. <laughs> nice. Need for speed. Foam or balsa? Uh, it's getting... I'm still a big fan of foam board, man. Okay. Nice. Floyd or Zeppelin? Floyd. You can sync it up to uh, Wizard of Oz so well. <laughs> I haven't tried that. Uh, Iron Maiden or ACDC? <laughs> ACDC, man. Landing gear or belly land? Uh, I like the landing gear. I'm a big fan there. And possibly our, our last, but possibly our most important question, Premier Chunky. Chunky. It's been a while since I've had some good Chunky. Nice. I'm starting to get hungry now. <laughs> about maple syrup, peanut butter. <laughs> well, congratulations, Chris. You made it through the lightning round. Excellent. You went the other side. You did. All right, so uh, as we're working on closing this out, we're going to talk about what's on the workbenches. Matt, what have you got going on? Uh, I've got a lot of pulling out the old builds and uh, seeing what I can do with them. I have a friend who gave me a beta build, which I built, but I didn't put any electronics in it. I got as far as the electronics. And so I think I'm going to put electronics in it. Uh, it's a was a Beechcraft Starship, I think is what it's called. Um, and then I did uh, a chuck gliding uh, wing. It's like a massive kind of curved wing deal, and I'm blanking on the name of the thing. And I've always looked at that going, I need to put a motor on the front of it. And so I decided to, so I've got a motor kind of set in it. I've got the beta um I got to redesign the flying car, so it's a little bit simpler to build. And then I'll probably release plans for everybody to to give it a shot. Um, and I've got the baby SR seventy one. I'm gonna 
uh, fix up real quick and tune it out so that I can give that a try and release some plans on that too. Okay. So busy is the sum up. <laughs> Chris, anything <laughs> exciting on your workbench? Uh, yeah, actually I've only, I got only got one flying plane right now that, uh, that I've been flying. So, um, I got some gear that is just sitting around that needs to be, uh, needs to be up in the air as well. So, um, I'd like to get another twin out. Uh, I think I, uh, going to be something, something going along with another twin. I, either, either it be a P38, like we were talking about a warbird, something like that, or maybe, uh, maybe I might even save that project for like a summertime sort of thing, put some landing gear on it. And then, uh, I don't know, I might do a twin between, uh, now and that one, just some, maybe like a little FPV unit or something. Uh, I also mm -hmm, have yeah. the uh, rest of the P47 to finish off. So, this is the Miniac RC P47. I uh, blew up to 200. percent uh, I had originally okay, done nice. the uh, I had done the original scale that he did it at a 24 inch wingspan. I also did another one at 135 percent. I think it was, and that flew really well on the 2212s. But uh, okay. I have this um, Rimfire 3536 1200 KV that really likes <laughs> the 4S system. So yeah. Um, I'm, I've done now this P47 at 200%. It's going to work out to be a 48-inch wingspan. It should be should be pretty nice. So all uh, like Master Series style, all molded and formed. So yeah, there's that. Uh, I just ordered a EDF today, a 50 millimeter EDF. So there's going to be uh, some oh, yeah. something going on with the EDF. Uh, it's going to be my first breakthrough doing doing an EDF. So I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with that. So I should see that within the next, I don't know. I live in Canada, so three, four, six weeks, three months. We'll see how long it Oof. takes to get here. Oof. But <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope it's sooner than later. Hopefully right? it shows up. Yeah. So yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I got a, I got a few things as far as flying goes uh, on the workbench there. Um, as far as uh, like I said, I was kind of dipping my toes into the whole uh, RC crawling thing as well. So. I got mm -hmm. uh, I got that one sixteen scale little four by four truck that Hilux Toyota Hilux so been playing around with that nice. and uh, yeah that's pretty much it just waiting for parts waiting for stuff building stuff that's you know on on on, on progress right now and get some flying nice. and some crawling in excellent well I know that um, I was doing some modifications to my old fogey so I cut the the top of the fuselage off and got the simple soar wing on and i want i now want to go and take the bits i cut off and glue those back in and then glue a flat sheet of uh, a flat rectangle of foam board to the bottom of those so i can still put my old fogey wing back on uh the fogey when i want to fly it or i can take that off and have the simple soar wing um i've got some work to do on the corsair like i talked about earlier where i've got to figure mm -hmm. out if there's any way i can free up that uh, that rudder, or if I'm going to have to go in and like take the wing off, which is going to be a booger to do, uh, that I'm not looking forward to doing. But if I got to take that off to get into the guts of it to do some more work, and once I get the the uh, Corsair kind of taken care of, I think it'll be about time that I dive into the HRC7 and finally oh. get that built and see about getting that one in the air. Oh, that reminds me. I think I've got the uh, Texan T6. The, the skins came in uh, just last week. So um, I'll probably be working on that too. Nice. 
We'll uh, mm-hmm. maybe we'll start yeah, those sense. two at the same time and see how they go together. That sounds like a good plan. Nice. Okay. So, so Chris, thank you so much for being on. Well, thanks very much for having me, man. This has been a lot of fun. I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. So, what? How can people reach out and see the new projects as they come up? Because I know, like, when you put together a project, as fast as you can put one together, which is like three seconds. You've gone out and flown it like eight times and got some great footage that you put up on your YouTube channel. Where, where can people go see that? So, uh, yeah, my uh, YouTube channel is North49RC. Uh, I actually did recently change the name of it. Uh, this is a new name. It's got a new logo. So uh, going in a bit of a direction where the channel itself is pretty much all RC stuff anyway. So kind of thought I'd have a title or a name for the channel that reflected that and uh, kind of put that, you know, the patriotism of being Canadian north of the 49th parallel out, out there. So yeah you can find me at north 49 rc that's uh that's what i got going on there of course i'm on discord every once in a while as well so you can play around there as well and you know catch up do the build parties that kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah you've been a very active member of our forum over here and i love it Uh, i love getting a chance to you know chat with you and talk to you guys uh, you specifically and then all our other people in the forum all our listeners who, who chime in and kind of let us know what they're up to and you know, it's it's just a good place to be, you know, check out what people are doing. So I uh, thank you for being part of that and, and, you know, being a good active member. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. Good deal, bud. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and bring this one to a close. Chris, thank you again. And for everybody listening, thanks for sticking with us. I know this one uh, is probably going to end up being a bit of a longer episode, but for those that have hung in this long, thank you. Uh, hopefully yeah. the information was good. Hopefully you were able to learn a little something um, or just confirm some things that you already uh, kind of thought. So uh, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what you've got going on. Uh, feel free to send any pictures of different uh, coverings, skins, things that you've done. Uh, you can mm-hmm. reach Matt and I, uh, Matthew at AviationRCNoob.com or Joe at aviationrcnoob.com and um, yeah we will see everybody next time see everybody next time bye bye bye